We'll be continuing this morning going through the book of 1 Peter, just looking at some different sections of, of, of this book, kind of asking ourselves what it means to be the church today in our world the way it is, and specifically, kind of uncomfortably holding up a mirror to ourselves and looking at us as a church and kind of asking hard questions about ourselves and seeing who we are and our fruitfulness and those things. And so um, we're going to continue that this morning. Boys and girls, make sure you have your nice uh, hot pink here uh, children's bulletin. You have your own translation in there that we're going to be referring to, a place you can ask questions. And the rest of you, if you want to, please open up your little apps there on your phones or turn your Bibles or your bulletin or whatever. We're looking at First uh, Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And before we go to God's Word, let's go together again in prayer. <clears throat> oh, Father God, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have condescended to us to give us truth, to give us speech, to tell us what is right. Lord, we ask that you would help us to take this Word and apply it deep into our hearts, that we would be convicted and encouraged, that we would come to know Christ deeper but perhaps for the first time. And we ask you to do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start out asking you a quick question. Does anybody know what a grockle is? G-R-O-C-K-L-E, grockle. Anybody have any idea what a grockle is? Did not think so. Well, in the English, the UK English area of Cornwall, which is like the extreme southwest area of um, England, it, it very much resembles the harbors of New England. In fact, Plymouth is there. And so during the time of immigration, people would leave Plymouth and then they would land in Plymouth, New England, and they made it look very similar. So if, you wanna, if you're in the UK and you want to go see all these wonderful little harbors and lighthouses and stuff, you know, we would go up to New England. They go there. So it's a heavy tourist spot. And the locals, they refer to tourists, especially American tourists, as grockles. During tourist season, they call the whole area Grockledom, which I thought was kind of funny. What, what we would call a tourist trap, they call Grockle Bait. And here's how one local described it. He says this, I'm quoting now. He says, you know, they come over here with their cameras and their tans and their biological inability to pronounce local place names correctly and their pearly white smiles, and then they block up the pavement. That's right, I said pavement, not sidewalk. You're not back home in Poughkeepsie now. And he goes on just ranting about these people. See, it doesn't matter whether you're from rural South Carolina or it doesn't matter whether you're from the English countryside. There's always a bit of a, you know, them folk ain't from around here. And we don't like it when it comes to obvious outsiders, people who are just different. Well, that's exactly what this text in First Peter today is going to remind us in that spirit that as far as the world is concerned, we're grockles. We're supposed to be different. If you remember where, Peter, where he'd been, Peter has been addressing the disunity in the church. He, he's reminded them that by the power of the gospel, they cast off all that divisive stuff, and instead they rejoice together to be built into God's dream home. And so now having exhorted them to get on the same team, he now reminds them that Christians are the visiting team, that we're not home and that we have weird ways of talking and weird ways of living, and people should notice that. So with that in mind, let's go now to God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. <clears throat> But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's word. And so what Peter tells us here basically is that Christians are foreigners and they don't like our kind around here. Sometimes. That kind of gives us our theme for today. Perhaps it's to help you remember it. Or when you're talking about it over lunch, what was the sermon about? You can remember and see if I actually did this, if we accomplished it. Here's what we're going to talk about today. As the visiting team, Christians brag about God, even when the home crowd threatens. So let's see how that works out. First thing we're going to look at, I had a little fun with this this week, so you have to forgive me. First thing I want to look at in this passage is, you know, them folk talk funny. First couple of verses. Peter reminds us here in these verses of who we are. He says, we, we are a unique possession of God with a unique purpose. And that purpose is to declare God's praises, to declare God's excellencies. And look how he describes the church, man. Chosen, royal, holy. That's Old Testament language for the Israel of God. Peter, under inspiration, is now saying that all the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, get that description. They are God's special people. Christians are called out of their nation to be God's nation, God's people. And that's our new identity. And when that becomes our new identity, it changes what we brag about. It's what he says, we've been changed so we can then proclaim I want you to think about this. I want you to think about maybe, maybe you're not a sushi person, but if you've met a sushi person, you know, especially that first couple times they've had it, they like to brag about sushi, right? Or maybe you know someone who does uh, CrossFit, right? They're going to tell you about it, aren't they? Maybe it's just to fat shame you or maybe just because they're so into it, but they're going to tell you about it. Or how about here locally? Orangeburg for the last several months has been divided into two kinds of people. Those who have been to sweet frogs and those who haven't and there are so many evangelists for sweet frogs personally i think it's extremely overpriced but that's my opinion but so many people are like you've got to try this place it's amazing it's colossal it's stupendous and you got to go because they're bragging on that because it's something new it's something unique they really like it that's what's going on here Peter is saying, look, you've been changed. You've been made into a new people. It changes everything, and you should be so excited about it. You're bragging on it. This new identity changes what you brag about. I want to make sure we get this. Boys and girls, let's look at yours. Let's look at your verse 9. Here, here's what Peter's trying to tell him. He says this. He says, look, y'all are God's hand-picked royal worshipers, a holy team of superstars who get to tell the world how cool God is. Boys and girls, have you ever been at recess and they start picking teams? I, I hated the picking team things. It might have been because I was short and thick for my age most of my life, and so I was like never picked. In fact, I wasn't even picked last. I was like, oh, I, guess, I guess we'll take Sean. 
I hated, I hated the picking the kickball teams. But see, what this tells us here is that when God's picking teams, boys and girls, he picks us first. He thinks we're awesome. He makes us awesome, and so we can go out and be awesome. Isn't that a great picture, boys and girls? And so we, we want to brag on him because of that. See, God has made us into his special people. And so we get to go out and proclaim how amazing, how cool, how outstanding God is. And we do that because we're his church. You know, your officers this week, please pray for us on Thursday night. We're having our second out of three, maybe more, major discussions about, you know, the future of Trinity, about where we are, where we're going, how do we get there, how do we be faithful, how do we do all these things. And the main principle that we are using in these discussions is this. Trinity isn't our church. Trinity isn't your church. It's God's church. We are His hand-selected people. See, and remembering that identity helps us determine what we are to do and what we are to be in Orangeburg. See, the fundamental nature of the church is not to serve itself. In fact, this is going to be controversial for some of you, the fundamental nature of the church is not to serve others. The fundamental nature of the church is to worship and serve God. It's His church. See, Peter won't let us have this idea that the church exists for its own interests or for its own comforts. The church exists for God, he says. That's why the main action of verse 9 is proclamation, bragging about God's excellencies. And that's a great word, excellencies. It's a word from their culture. It was used to describe people who would do a great civic good. Maybe they would sponsor a temple. Maybe they would build a fountain downtown. Remember, fountains were their source of running water for a city. Maybe they would build a fountain or they would do a great civic work. Then they, they were proclaimed to be an excellent citizen. It was an official title. So Peter tells them, guess what? God is the one who does the best for his people. He is excellent. He is amazing. He is beautiful. And so we should brag on Him. Now see, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're still investigating or a friend invited you or you're just not sure about this, and one of the things that tends to bug you as a non-Christian is Christians being public about their Christianity, right? Why can't they just keep that stuff private? Why do they try to convert people all the time? Well, right here is one of the main reasons We've been changed by God. We've been given this new identity, a new acceptance, a new belonging. And we cannot help but proclaim how awesome God is because what he's done for us. It's a radical idea of proclamation based on a radical new identity. We just can't help ourselves. And it's so radical. Look with me at verse 10 to see how amazing this is. Verse 10 tells us, once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, look, once you were nobody, but now you're somebody. Once you were, you were under wrath and curse, but now you have mercy. How can you not brag about that? How can you not proclaim that greatness? I mean, receiving mercy, this is the condescending grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
to create a new people, a new nation. It's actually in Greek the word ethnos, where we get ethnicity from. We are a new ethnicity called Christian. It's not just a title. It's not a team. It's not a hobby. It is a new identity. This is what Paul means when he goes on to say, look, in Jesus Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We are one in Christ because we have a new ethnicity called Christian. That's the kind of stuff you can't help but brag about if you get that. See, and if we don't want to brag about the gospel, it's probably because we don't know it. Or as he says back in verse 3, it's because you haven't tasted it, you haven't experienced it. Has God taken you out of darkness and put you into light? Has he established you as part of his new nation, a new people? It's actually a very easy test. Our culture, our unbelieving neighbors should look at us and say something to the likes of them folk talk funny. Because instead of gossip, or instead of the constant complaining about the state of things, or instead of getting really jazzed and excited about college sports and killing animals, which I'm, I'm all about those two things, we brag about our Redeemer, our gracious God who put us on our team because He loved us. That jazzes us. That lights us up. And yeah, we'll engage in this other stuff, but if you really see our hearts, we brag about God. What do you brag about, dear Christian? An unbelieving culture should look at us and think, them folk talk funny. But they should also think, them folk live funny. They live weird. Look with me at verse 11, talking directly to the church. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You know, Roman culture was very diverse Often when we think back of ancient cultures, we don't think of that. Rome was extremely diverse. They had people from all over the world, literally. Even in the book of Acts, we see as Paul's going through his various journeys all across the Roman Empire, people didn't automatically assume he was a Roman citizen because there was such diversity. Not everyone was a citizen. There are several times when, in fact, something happens to Paul that would never have happened to a citizen because people just assume he's not a citizen. So when Peter talks to this Roman Gentile slash Jew, but a Roman church, and he calls them sojourners and exiles, they would understand. To put this into our vernacular, it's not exactly accurate, but it's close enough to get the feeling. Peter basically says, look, you undocumented and documented foreigners, outsiders who don't belong, folk ain't from around here. See, and this is deeper than cultural customs. Christians were persecuted back then not because they worshipped Jesus. I mean, it was a polytheistic culture. People didn't care if you added one more God to it. The more the merrier. What got Christians in trouble was saying Jesus is the only true God, which means yours are false. That tended to make people upset then and now. See, and that truth, That proclamation is why Christians stick out like a sore thumb. In a culture that is semi or even outright hostile to Christianity, like Rome, like ours is becoming, it looks upon us as too different. 
Maybe you feel this in Orangeburg. You definitely feel it a little bit in Columbia. The more you get out and talk to other people in, in larger cities, you definitely feel this. Our culture is asking very similar questions of Christians to what many of you in the room ask about all these Middle Eastern refugees coming into our country. Can they really be part of our community? Their basic beliefs are so different from ours. They don't share our values. Do we really want their kind here? Is it good for America to have these groups with those beliefs? You see, for too long in our Christianized culture, we weren't that different. Just more committed, perhaps, or more serious. But most folk operate out of the same Christian-based worldview in America. No longer. On a very basic and fundamental level, the church of God is different. And people are looking saying, those folks live weird. I don't know if that's a good thing. See, Peter is really good for us to hear because he is in a culture where the church is having some disagreements within and they're having some problems with the culture without. It's very much like most churches in America. It's a different world than even 10 years ago as far as how the church relates to society and how society sees us. I can tell you as a minister, there is a fundamental difference when people find out that I'm an ordained minister, it used to be semi kind of weird and awkward, but there would be a little bit of respect. I think I've said before, the funniest thing used to be people would get better um, posture and enunciate more clearly because I'm like their mom, I guess. But that hadn't happened in a long time. Now it's suspicion, and it's immediate. I don't like you. I, you're bad. It's weird. I mean, I, John Mark will probably tell you the same thing. I, I do everything I can to get the conversation away from what do you do for a living, you know, so, change, things have changed. Let me give you an example. The first century Christians stood out because they were anti-abortion. Yeah, it was around. They were anti-abandonment of infants. They were great proponents of monogamy. They were against adultery. They were against sexual exploitation. They were against homosexuality. They were against the worship of the state but they were also radically committed to helping the poor. They castigated the Roman economic system that kept the poor working class down. I mean, if you want to talk about income equality, read the ancient Christian writings. They invented the term. They pointed out the injustice of a slave class. They were for women's rights. That came from the church. And they were against wars of conquest. See, if you put all those together, what do you have? You have an extremely conservative group of people to the anger of the liberals, while at the same time you have an extremely liberal group to the anger of the conservatives and culture. And that same difference should be around today. There are supposed to be things about the church of Jesus Christ which should bother both liberals and conservatives because the church, as an outworking of the gospel, should socially be both liberal and conservative. They should look at us and say, y'all are weird. I'm going to dig into that a bit more. I want to to share with you a, a, a paraphrase, not quite the children's translation, a paraphrase of verse 11. We could really translate the Greek this way. It says this, it says, Resist the longings of your old nature that wage war against your new identity in Christ. That's what he says there when he's saying to, um, <clears throat> to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war. See, the culture, the world system of unbelief, it basically has almost a, an immune response to us like we're an infection. It wants to eradicate us like the infection that we are. And so using peer pressure, using government policy, using our own fear, we are tempted to assimilate, to be just like everyone else. Don't make waves. Let's just have this little Christian hobby on the side. But that's a denial of the gospel. Peter won't let us do that. He says that's a refusal to be the new people we've been made into. So resist the longings of your old nature. Your old nature wants to fit in. It doesn't want to stand out. It doesn't want to, your old nature doesn't want to brag on God. It wants to be left alone and hide. But your new identity in Christ wants to proclaim. And so there is this war going on in our heart. It can be an internal struggle to believe you know, our inordinate desires for this world, our, our, our desires to make this place our home, to make this place our identity. Those things wage an active war against our true self, what, the new people we are in Christ. We have to see that. In other words, we can be completely opposed to the direction and values of our culture out there and still be losing the war against our hearts in here. Because instead of trusting in the grace of God, we, we import this idea that we have to impress God. Or, or maybe we bargain with God. It's the idea of a lottery God. Lots of people thinking about the lottery this week. It's the idea of a lottery God. If you have that magic ticket, then you get good in your life. See, there's this constant temptation in our hearts to deny the gospel in our daily life, our daily struggles. That's what Peter's talking about. Resist those longings of your old nature to deny the gospel. They're waging war against who you really are in Christ. Again, this may be a little hard to understand, so, so let's look at it for the kids. Here's how we did it for the kids. The kids, verse 11, says this. Dear flock, I beg you to remember that this world, our country, is not our home, even if we've been here a long time. Since this world is at war with God's team, we should be different. Boys and girls, you know that feeling in your belly when you walk into a new place and you don't know anyone? Or maybe like what I used to do, too often you, you sit down at the popular kids' table by accident and there's very quickly, I don't belong here. That's how we're supposed to feel, boys and girls, in the world. Moms and dads, adults. That's how we're supposed to feel out in culture. We don't belong here. See, but what happens is we don't quite get that, and so when we're opposed, we think we've messed up because we don't really believe this new identity in Christ is that different. That's why the big action here, the big action in verse 9 was to proclaim the big action in this part of the text for those who've experienced grace is to abstain, to hold back, to resist the lies in your heart that want you to deny the gospel with your life. And what I love about this is this is where we see the heart of our God. He calls us to be faithful in our lives, to abstain from these desires and instead live out the truth. He calls us to do that. He calls us not to be hypocrites, basically, not because God needs the PR of a bunch of good little Christians. No, what does he say? He says we should do this because our neighbors need to see that Christianity is real. Look with me at verse 12. What's he say? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Live a beautiful life, Peter says, to counter the slander that will come. When we live out our, our beliefs, non-believers notice. And God uses that to draw people to himself. And don't overlook what it says here. It says when. It doesn't say if. Oh, if I'm a good Christian and if I play my cards just right, I can get through without anybody saying anything bad and I can make this Christianity pretty easy. No. Nope. You're doing it wrong. When they say bad things about you, Christians are going to be spoken against. Christians are going to be maligned. Christians are going to be slandered. That's why all that stuff back in verse 1 shouldn't be in the church, by the way, because the world's going to do it to us already. We should expect that Christians will be slandered. And so when that happens, since we know it's coming, we can then counter, not with sarcasm or ranting on Facebook or whatever it is, we can counter the slander with a beautiful life that reflects the beautiful gospel. Love and joy, peace, all that good stuff. In other words, our neighbors should say something like this. Those people are homophobic religious bigots. But man, they're great neighbors. I'm so glad they live in our neighborhood. I've been in their house. They're so kind. They've been in my house. He's helped me out. Our neighborhood is better because they're here. They're wrong. But gosh, it's hard not to like them. If we aren't grounded in our new identity in Christ, if we don't have the security of Him as our bedrock, we will compromise in order to be liked. And that testimony will never happen. See, non-Christians, if you're here, I just want to own, most Christians have been hypocritical at some time. And you've seen it, haven't you? Usually what I just talked about is why we're hypocrites. Because this intense internal struggle in our hearts to live out beliefs which we know are going to make us strange, it's hard. Please, please be patient with us. We're trying. Because believing the gospel is a daily struggle. It's not something that we arrive at in this life. We can say, I've got the gospel. No, you don't. You've got some, but you don't have it yet. None of us likes to be slandered either, do we? No one likes to be spoken bad about. And it's only in the power of the gospel that we can live joyfully in the face of such slander. That's the key, Peter says. Anchored in the new identity as someone who has received mercy. You brag about how awesome God is. And so when someone calls you a religious bigot or whatever it is, you can joyfully say, I've been slandered for Christ's sake and I love you anyway. That's hard. That's very hard. It takes the power of the gospel. But remember the source of that power. I want you to go back. If, you, if, you're, if you're a non-Christian and you don't know this story, I apologize. I want the rest of you, I want you to think about Christ on trial standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pilate knows Jesus has done nothing wrong. He wants to release him, the text tells us, and so he tells the crowd that he intends to release Jesus. And you remember what they say? Give us Barabbas, is what they shout back. Barabbas was a rebel leader. He was a treasonous murderer who deserved to die and was on death row. And the crowd said, Jesus is worse than him. Give us that guy. You see, Jesus 
was slandered. He took the ultimate slander. Politically, Jesus Christ, on his death sentence from Rome, they had to put something. He died for the crimes Barnabas committed. A rebel, a traitor. Jesus was slandered. He was spoken against as an evildoer by the crowd. And yet he uttered not a word. He even called out for their forgiveness. And in his death and resurrection, he gives to his people in our new identity the power and the courage to endure the world's slander just like he did. See, that way, like Jesus before us, when we are spoken against, and we will be, our manner of life will bear witness to the grace and acceptance of God available to the gospel. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you used to be. The promise of this passage is that your identity can be new. That you can be made into a new kind of human, a new ethnicity. You can be a chosen, royal, holy person, hand-picked to be part of God's precious community. And it's a community that is the most ancient, pan-historical, transnational, multi-ethnic, polylinguistic, diverse collection of people the world has ever seen. It's called the church. If you want that, if you want to be that new person, Simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. He will give you a new identity. He will call you his own. He will accept you and he will ground you in his love. That's what it means to believe the gospel. And you can do that today. No matter how often you have or have not been in this room, you can believe the gospel today. Will you? Let's pray together.